Hi, hello, welcome, 欢迎大家. In this episode of Hot and Sour Soup for the Soul, we chat with architecture aficionado and second-generation Asian-American Anya Sinha. Anya calls both the rolling hills of California and the vibrant sectors of New Delhi her homes, and has lived in over a dozen cities. She completed her Master's of Architecture at UPenn and has been internationally recognized for her work. To date, she's worked at both the firms behind the Tokyo Olympic Stadium and the Airbnb HQ. In this episode, we chat with Anya about the confluence of art and design, the tastiest Indian dishes, and last but not least, body hair. Stay tuned. to Hot and Sour Soup for the Soul, where each episode is a celebration of multiculturalism in America. So stoked to have you here at the party for our first conversation of the season with the one and only Anya Sinha. Hey everyone, thanks for having me here, Adrienne. Of course. Anya is just back from a international trip to Japan where she took part in. Anya, I'll let you take the floor. I was in an international design competition held in Tokyo. Uh, there were notable judges such as Kengo Kuma, Atelier Bow Wow, Junaoki, um, among others. And it went really well. They liked our project a lot, and we placed third. Off the plane and onto the airwaves. I love it. So let me start by giving you an overview of the episode. Our conversation will be a three-part act. Uh, we're going to talk about your past, so mm-hmm. we'll do a walk down memory lane, get a little nostalgic, then we'll talk about your present, do some rumination and introspection, and then move into your future, um, planning and prospecting for what's to come. Sounds good. So we will kick off with your past. Share with us a little bit about your upbringing and how your cultural identity played a part in those early years. Yeah. Um, so I am Indian-American. I was born in California, and something that really defines me is that growing up, we moved around a lot. I went to kindergarten in India, and I went to high school in India. So between the Bay Area and India, my family's permanent address changed about 10 times um, over the course of my life. So that's not even including like my move to college and studying abroad. I think that's just something I'm used to, like a more nomadic lifestyle and exploring cities and cultures. That's something I really enjoy. So that's one part of my life. Heritage-wise, yeah, I grew up in a very Indian household. I ate Indian food every day. Mm-hmm. I watched Bollywood. I knew more about Bollywood than Hollywood. Even today, um, I feel much more invested in Bollywood than Hollywood yeah. sometimes. When um, you first came upon the word Hollywood, you're like, this is a typo. You have one layer <laughs> off. Don't you mean Bollywood <laughs> or Tollywood? Yeah. What's Tollywood? Tollywood is the Tamil version of Bollywood, Tollywood. So mm-hmm. it's the South Indian, South Indian Tollywood. There's 14 languages in India, and I speak Hindi. Mm-hmm. So the rest are, they range from slight variations of Hindi to like completely different dialects, such as the Tamil. But yeah, I lived in India. I speak Hindi. I read and write Hindi. Um, I speak to my parents in Hindi. So that was like a huge part of me Yeah, growing up and even today. With all the moving around that you did growing up, how were you able to stay fluent in Hindi? 
were you self-motivated or was there someone in your family who made sure that you kept up with it? It was definitely my grandparents. So when I went to kindergarten in India, they enrolled me in a homeschool, which was like in our neighborhood. Yeah, we would all go to this homeschool and learn to read Hindi and write Hindi and also read and write English. That was a pretty defining experience, I would say. Like, when I came back to the U.S. for first grade, like, I already knew cursive, and I already knew, like, two languages. Whoa! They teach you cursive when you're five? Yeah. (laughs) You can only write in cursive. So, yeah, it's really interesting to compare, like, what they teach you in Asian schools versus American schools. I bet your name tag looked really cool, first day of school. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's doing block letters, and you're like, nope, pinky's up. Yep. (laughs) Cursive all the way. So... It sounds like your penmanship was already pretty top-notch, but even so, is there anyone that you looked up to while you were growing up? I looked up to my parents, I looked up to my teachers, Um, but I think what's so great about your podcast is that as a woman of color in architecture, which is also an untraditional career path, there isn't like an Indian female architect that I know of who I can look up to. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of successful Indian women, there's a lot of successful architects, but like like that middle of the Venn diagram is missing for me. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of my motivation just comes from look, looking at my friends and like how well they're doing and looking at my parents and like trying to use their advice towards my own work and obviously same with my professors. So... Yeah, I think that's an important call out too. There is so much pressure put on young professionals these days to find a mentor, to find someone who has seen more and done more, who can be that professional Yoda to their young Padawan. And for sure, there's a lot of value in having an official mentor like that who is in your court. But if you are a person of color, a first-generation American, or just someone who's struggling to find a mentor who you feel shares similar experiences to you, whether they be cultural or personal, don't underestimate the value of your peer network and the kind of advice that you're able to get simply from crowdsourcing amongst people who you call your pals. The various industries that they work in and the people that they've rubbed shoulders with, whether it be people they've managed or people that they report into, that collection of experience can yield advice and opportunity that is just as fruitful as something that you can get from someone who might be more traditionally viewed as a mentor. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something my parents really stress too. Like, oh, what is your friend doing? Like, what's Adrian doing? What's Anna doing? Keep in touch with them. Make sure like you know what's up and like what's going on. So mm-hmm. in lieu of that first gen experience of sometimes having a harder time finding a role model growing up because there are so few people in the public sphere that look like you, Um, although that's changing. You know, we grew up in the 90s and early 2000s, but uh, growing up. Do you recall any moments where you were like, "Ugh, I wish I could be less insert ethnicity here? Unfortunately, I mean, I love my culture. Nothing about my culture really embarrassed me, but I would get really conscious about the amount of body hair I have. And it's okay, like I love, you know, having lots of hair and full eyebrows and eyelashes and everything, but just like everything else, just like I would go to PE and I wasn't allowed to shave mm-hmm. um, in middle school. So I would feel really embarrassed about that. And um, 
I think, yeah, the typical like school lunch in elementary school when everyone brings peanut butter and jelly and Capri Sun juice. And yeah. like, you have this homemade idli sambar, which is this um, South Indian dish. I brought that to school once and people were like, what are, what is that? Like, <laughs> trite but true. Yeah. That experience is so shared. Yeah. And now you have places like Udupi Palace and the Mission in mm-hmm. San Francisco where people wait hours to have dosa. That's another popular one. And it's hilarious because these places mark up the price to like $20 a plate, $25 a plate. And it's like, oh, well, on Sundays, my mom makes dosa. And that <laughs> that's like a very normal thing. Like, it's not this high-end cuisine. It's just like, oh, like, there's dosa, there's idli sambar, there's... Um, what do you recommend that everyone try in Indian cuisine? Um, my favorite is Golgappa. Hey, feature Adrian here. I had Anya spell this out for us so we can find it on a menu. It's G-O-L-G-A-P-P-A. Okay, back to the episode. They're appetizers, basically. Little puffed breads where you put in chickpea and potato and uh, either tamarind sauce or mint water. You can have it spicy or sweet. If you mm. like have it the entire thing at once. A one-bite wonder. Yum. I can't wait to try Golgapa. So we had to take the gastronomic detour. But going back to our earlier question about moments where you were like, could I be less Indian? Mm -hmm. Um, If you could go back in time and sit yourself down, Mm -hmm. what would you have told yourself in those moments? Hmm. That's a tough question. I I think I would tell myself in general to be happier in life and like not be so worried about fitting in. One huge thing growing up um, in India was that I wasn't allowed to do a lot of things that my friends were allowed to do. Like they were allowed to go out really late at night and drive around with their other friends and were stable. Like they didn't have to move around a lot. So they didn't Mm -hmm. face the same trouble as like, you know, having to adapt to a new place every time you move. Yeah. So I think because of that, I would feel like, oh, like I wish I was just like anchored just like anchored like i had like a you know house in the suburbs and i could just like be like american and fit in with this crowd more Mm -hmm. so that's that's something that would kind of bother me and i wish that i could just go back and be like just enjoy the moments i think my life turned out really well i'm really happy that i got to see so many different cultures and like places growing up yeah without turning this into therapy i think (laughs) just to i would just tell myself to be happier and live in the moment a bit more because everything turned out to be really great in the end yeah yeah all we have is what's in front of us Mm -hmm. literally the second the minute that we're living in nothing in the future is guaranteed and who knows the future could bring glossier boy brow and lash extensions (laughs) things that people pay lots of money to purchase Mm -hmm. and put on their face and here you are sitting right in front of me with the longest lashes that I've ever seen in my life (laughs) all for free amazing genetics yeah they go a long way yeah (laughs) there's a lot for us to be proud of for sure so moving in the time machine a little bit to the present Mm -hmm. you alluded to earlier you're in architecture and that's something that has captured your attention pretty early on in life because you did study architecture in undergrad as well yeah so before you got your master's you knew full well what you wanted to do with the foreseeable future Mm -hmm. what drew you to pursue architecture I was always really interested in creative design. I drew a lot growing up. I had a fashion notebook where I would draw like outfits. It was it was just something I enjoyed doing. 
And um, going to India, I think that also really brought out my artistic side where I got really involved in um, the art society and I got really involved in dancing. Um, I really enjoy hip hop dancing. So that kind of added to my creative pursuit, if you will. Um, and so going into undergrad, I thought I'd kind of combine my creative side with the more math, science, nerdy side that I, you know, that I have in me um, <laughs> and combine that into architecture. So it was really enjoyable. Like the creative side of it was really great. But I also learned that architecture had so much to do with like social patterns in humans and kind of understanding what types of communities are inclusive what types of communities are sustainable and there's a lot of like oh like what kind of space what kind of space do people feel more comfortable in and the, and those would be like walkable communities places that are diverse and you know have lots of natural light like things like this kind of showed me that there's a lot of theory to architecture as mm -hmm. well as the bread and butter of like how to make a building and you know the creative side of how to make it look good like it really was an all-encompassing profession, which I think was really interesting to me and is the reason why I chose to pursue it for so long in undergrad and grad school and even now like I'm working towards my license. So the learning curve is always there. It's not like it, it's plateaued. There's always something more to learn. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I really enjoy about architecture. Can you share with us an architecture fun fact? Maybe a, a design truth that would surprise most people? Ooh. Well, I think there's a lot of, like, little things that have surprised me. For instance, you know when you're driving on the highway and you see these white dashed lines next to, next to your car, like, marking the lane? So how long do you think those dashed lines are? Like, one dash. What do you think the length of that dash is? Hmm. A foot? It's ten feet. What? Yeah. <laughs> but because you're going so fast, you see them as shorter dashes. Well, I was really off. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought they were two feet, but they're super long. They're almost the length of an entire car. Talk about an example, too, that just shows what a crucial role our vantage point plays and that it's all a matter of perspective. Yeah. How fast you're going, how mm -hmm. elevated you are. Truth really is so tied to perspective and perception yeah yeah definitely like if you think about it the entire world around us is designed like this parking lot the buildings every inch of space around us is designed by someone or a group of people and even the trees and the planters and all of that has been designed by landscape architects so i think it's really important to think about who's making those decisions i think there's a lot of equity in design that people aren't aware of how have you noticed your multicultural perspective manifest itself in the way that you design? I think that growing up in India versus California made me really aware of different types of urban infrastructure, different types of architecture. And so in Berkeley, when I was studying architecture, we would learn about walkable communities or public transportation and how that plays a part and how in the suburbs people live further and further apart because there's this dependence on cars and that because of cars and um, this standard of living where people want like their own house, their own garage, we developed this concept of living very far away from the city. Whereas in India or most of Europe, there's more of a dependence on public infrastructure and that leads to density around that public infrastructure so you have like these really walkable cities 
So stuff like that really just became my inspiration. My inspiration for sustainability and just urban vibrancy comes from India because India is very vibrant and dense, I would say. I love that. So it sounds like the time that you spent between India and the U.S. growing up really made you acutely aware of spatial density, which has in turn lent itself to making you a stronger architect. Definitely. You're right. Like That adds a lot of, of information to draw from. Presently, we're working on a residential project in Santa Clara, and we just started our conceptual design phase. So there was actually a lot of that, a lot of, okay, like let's gather precedents for materials or for what the street between the buildings is going to feel like, or even what the parks between the buildings are going to feel like. In architecture, like we gather precedents for each one of these and just being able to be like, I saw this building in Japan and I studied this type of architecture in London. It just helps to be able to bring examples of successful architecture and beautiful design from different parts of the world. So that's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a lot of subjectivity in the early stages of designing a space. And Mm -hmm. if a certain experience isn't accounted for in the group of people who are collecting that inspiration, then it will never be reflected in the actual structure. Isn't that scary? Like this building in front of us, five people got in a room and decided that, oh, this is going to be yellow and nobody else (laughs) can change that ever again. It was just up to these five people sitting in a room and they convinced their client and that was was the design process. So it's good to be able to see like different cases around the world and what we can learn from each one. That is pretty dang magical that your being an architect creates more colorful and inclusive spaces for the rest of us to live in. Because you're able to bring this perspective that is oftentimes underrepresented in the architecture space. Definitely. Yeah, that's a huge part of it. For example, um, this happened a while ago where we were designing you know, housing units and we were deciding whether to have a bathroom with a walk-in closet. And all the men unanimously decided that, yes, of course we want a, cl- a walk-in closet in our bathroom. Like, that's awesome. Who doesn't want that? And me and the other female employee were both like, uh, no, <laughs> we want our closet outside of the bathroom so that you don't track a bunch of dirt in the bathroom. And I think that speaks a lot to gender for both me and the other female employee. We were both thinking you need privacy in the bathroom. If someone's in the closet while you're in the bathroom, that doesn't give you privacy, first of all. And second of all, if you're the one cleaning the bathroom, then like, why would you want you know, your spouse or like your children to track a bunch of dirt back and forth in the closet. Representation goes a long way. Yeah. If there's not that voice in the room. The aftermath of that is a little more consequential because it's literally a crystallized structure. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of social responsibility that comes in making sure what you're making is sustainable. Speaking of sustainable design, I know that's a big part of your design ethos, and it served you really well. You have quite the list of accolades, having worked on designing the Tokyo Olympic Stadium and having won international awards for your use of public space. Along the way, have your parents given you any advice to help you become the architecture titan you are today? Mm. Uh, growing up, like my mom would tell me, okay, make sure you work hard every day and get along with everyone and talk to everyone, like make sure you're part of the group. And and then my dad, on the other hand, would be like, why do you care so much about this person's opinion? 
it doesn't matter if you don't like where you're working, find another job. You don't have to worry so much about trivial opinions um, and being a people pleaser and being a people pleaser yeah I love how their advice so effortlessly balanced each other and then it sounds like you were able to take nuggets from both your mom and your dad's advice to find your custom calibration of when to be fluid and when to be more staunch that's awesome okay we're gonna step back into the time machine and jump forward to the future it's last stop in our time traveling saga envision that it's the end of 2020 what are you proud to have seen more of in the workplace in the past year? What I would like to see more of, I would like to see more of companies taking care of their employees, I would say. Making sure that people are getting the time they need to allocate to their families or to just other aspects of their life. I think in architecture and some other careers, there's there tends to be this culture of like working overtime and like Proving that you, know, you can sleep less than the person yeah. sitting next to you. <laughs> Proving that you're immortal. <laughs> All of that. So I'd like to see more balance in work life. I mean, we spend 40 years working, probably more, and we spend most of our lives working. So having that area be safe and compatible with with our many other um, roles, in, roles life. in life, yeah, is something that I'd like to see us working towards. Yeah. What yes. will you be doing to help make that a reality? Mm, that's a good question. Well, I personally will be working towards my licensure to become an independent architect in 2020. So that is my personal goal to just be that Indian female architect that I want to see. Not to say that there aren't other Indian female architects, because there definitely are, but... Not as many as you believe there should be. Yeah, there's not as many as I believe there should be, so I want to maybe encourage other women that, like, okay, this is a path that works out. I don't have to be a doctor or an engineer like my parents tell me to. I can be an architect, or, like, this is the path that I can take towards having a more stable career in creative design. Yeah. And it's really encouraging for people who may not be so sure-footed when they're younger. Mm -hmm. And they're like, hey, I have a very nimble left and right brain. Maybe mm -hmm. I want to pursue something creative that still allows me to work on the quantitative things that I enjoy. Yeah. And they just need to find someone who looks like them who's doing it and doing it really well. And when you don't have that person out there, it can mm -hmm. sometimes detract someone from pursuing that. And I think when people don't see anyone like them, some people who are not as sure-footed will elect not to go that path. Yeah. And then you have fewer people who are pursuing it, which mm -hmm. is what caused the problem in the first place. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, something that gave me a lot of anxiety growing up was, okay, like, how am I going to make it as an architect? I mean, because my parents thought that architecture was basically engineering which it isn't, so... <laughs> Is that how you sold them on architecture? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. But there definitely was this anxiety of, is this going to lead to a lifestyle that I want? Is this going to reconcile with the lifestyle that they have in mind for me? And I think, for me, there was definitely a bit of a compromise in that there was a lot of hard work involved in getting a master's and like getting certain internships that would, that would make me feel like I had the credibility to go all the way with this career. Yeah, I think that as Indian Americans or other minorities, I think it's just helpful to see how someone who you can relate to is navigating the career that you're interested in. Yeah, totally. 
seeing ethnic representation within a career or profession can really help be a confidence booster for those who aspire to get into that profession one day. Okay, Anya, last but not least, while we're in this time machine, sitting here in the future at the end of 2020, what's something that you're proud to have accomplished personally in 2020? 2020 is going to be the year of settling down for me because in 2019, I moved to the West Coast back from Penn, started a new job. So there was a lot of change. And I think 2020 is going to be the year of blooming where I'm planted. Like 2019 was the year of like planting myself and 2020 is going to be the year of just blooming, soaking up the Bay Area and my friendships and my family so that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, yeah. you really tilled the <laughs> land and now you get to reap the fruit. Love it. Yes, that is the metaphor that we're going for in 2020. Reaping the fruit. Reaping the fruit. <laughs> thank you, Anya. Yeah, thank you for having me, Adrian. I can't wait to see what we all learn from all the interviews. Okay, and that does it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure having you. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you stream. And don't forget, Hot and Sour Soup for the Soul is a multi-sensory experience, meaning that this audio podcast is only part of it. For the full collection, digital and physical, visit us at thebaybrigade.com. We're here to nourish all the senses. Okay, until next time, Zai Goodbye. Toodaloo.